I was um, going along with my day and I saw this article that got my attention and it's a big headliner. It says, I spent 17 years fighting to see my sons again after they were put up for adoption. A mother tells us their story that she wrote to her sons, I love you, mammy will write real soon. They were the final words that she said to her children before they were taken on the 2nd of July, 2004. This lady goes on to say, my eldest boy was five. My youngest was 15 months old. I was advised by social workers not to cry, to make it a positive experience for them, as if they were anyway to make parting potentially forever positive. I believe my sons needed to know that I was sad they were leaving, so I held them, exchanged gifts, shared stories, laughed and yes, cried. After 45 minutes, I carried my boys from social services, conference room to the car and strapped them in. I kissed them and I watched as they were driven away. Then I fell to the floor, nursing an ache that would never heal. I'm what's known in the family justice system as the birth mother. This simply means that the children I gave birth to, nurtured and loved, were removed by the local authority and placed into adopted adoption because they were worried I couldn't keep my son safe from my violent ex-partner. When social services workers feel a child is no longer safe at home, they can remove it, remove the child into the care system. From the moment I was no longer legally their mum, I was told that I was lucky. I could receive one letter a year with an update, otherwise I was left to deal with kind of grief rarely spoken of. When I promised to write my boys, I had no idea it would be up to the adopters to decide if I could. People who were probably told I neglect my children would be, would be told the truth, that I was a victim of domestic abuse, that I'd been left unprotected and blamed for not shielding my children. At first I heard nothing and sank into deep depression. It turned out that initially there were no adopters for my children, so a letterbox contact couldn't be organised. I couldn't bear the thought of my sons thinking I didn't care. Eventually, thanks to a charity called After Adoption, now sadly closed due to the funding cuts, I finally got a precious letter. My sons were happy and healthy but most of all, they were safe. Feeling reassured, I began to take tentative steps towards a life without my children. I volunteered at a local charity shop, made friends and stopped hiding at home. In 2007, at an after-adoption event, I met a legal advisor at Family Rights Group, a charity that works to enable children to be raised safely within their family and strengthen the family ties to children unable to remain at home. She encouraged me to join a working group of judges, social workers and families looking at law reform. Professionals who could learn from the insight and experience in order to improve their working practices. In no time I became part of the team delivering domestic abuse training alongside legal experts 
travelling all over the country to speak at events challenging the way parents who are victims of domestic violence are viewed and treated. Not a day went by when I didn't think about my boys. The agony was unbearable at times, but I poured my emotions into the talks I was giving. I wanted people to know how much I loved my children and that their absence had not changed that in any way. I helped the family rights group set up panels and parents with experience of the child welfare system. I hoped my boys would be proud of my achievements. I had much to tell them in my annual letters. I was lucky as their new parents were amazing, reassuring me that my boys were safe and loved. They sent notes, handwritten by my eldest son, and always included photographs so I could see how they were growing. They travelled all over the world and I looked hearing about their adventures and what their personalities were like. Fueled by my letters, I began living again. In 2008, four years after my boys left, I met my husband in 2011. We had a daughter. The local authorities had no concern about my parenting. An enormous relief as I heard of many birth mothers losing their children because of their past. But I couldn't get the boys back because of adoption is final. In law, you are no longer the child's parent. No matter what changes I made, they would never be legally mine again. I wrote to my sons telling them about their little sister and she grew up hearing about their big brothers. She would always ask when she would get to meet them which was hard as we didn't have an answer. Then the letters stopped. My eldest son was a teenager. He didn't want to write. His mum tried persuading him, but I told him not to. If he needed to let go, then I'd give him my blessing. I said goodbye once more, hoping that they would come back to me. I continued sending birthday and Christmas cards so that they knew I hadn't forgotten about them. To help cope, I put all my energy into trying to change the family justice system. I want the way it treats adults and children victims of domestic abuse to change. They need to be given proper support. Adults victims should not be judged or blamed or held responsible for their actions of perpetrators and lose their children. And when a child is adopted, I want support to be made available from the birth for the birth of families and adopters. I believe that we should do all we can to keep adult and children victims of domestic violence safely together and only separate them when it's absolutely necessary. Working with the members of parent panels who have similar experience to me has made me fight harder. Then out of the blue, in December 2020, I received an email from my old local authority to say that my son wanted to contact me I fell to the floor sobbing. 48 hours later, we video called. There he was, my beautiful boy, now a man, yet the same as I remembered him. The way he tilted his hair, his smile, his laugh, and his poker straight hair. We chatted, but I wasn't prepared for what he was, he told me. He'd been fighting to contact me since his 18th birthday. The local authorities had refused to help, saying I was a safeguarding risk to his younger brother. I don't know why they said this. How could I be at risk when I 
when, when, when my daughter had no local authority involvement and my ex-partner had died years earlier. My son was never given an explanation. It felt as if one part of the local authority didn't know what the other was doing. In the end, his mum had helped him find me. They googled my first name, knowing I had done work around adopting, adoption awareness. My son read all my blogs and watched my videos I had made. He went back to the local authorities and told them if they didn't put us in contact with support, he would contact me online. They eventually agreed, and that's when I received an email. All those years of fighting to change things for others, and I had no idea it would bring my, bring my boys back to me. He told me how proud he was of me, telling our story honestly and openly. I don't know how I held it together when I heard that. I can't even put that into words. I was so overwhelmed. As my son and their adoptees live abroad, we have only been able to speak only on video calls. I hope that one day we'll be able to meet in person and my daughter will finally get her wish to meet her brothers. My younger son knows that his brother and I are in contact, but he needs time to process it all. It's his journey and his decision, which I respect. I wish I could say that my story is is unique, that victims of domestic abuse are no longer blamed for their abuse, that their children are not being permanently removed, but I can't. I know my birth mothers who I have lost, who I, I know many birth mothers who have lost their children who don't speak out through fear. They may lose a little contact that they have with their children. We know that two out of three mothers advised by family rights groups advised line in 2018 and 19 said that domestic abuse was the reason the local authorities were involved in their life. These women, mums, deserve better. I deserve better. My children deserve better. It's what motivates me to speak out and keep working to create a more just child welfare system. In November, when our current chair retires, I will become the first birth parent to hold the position of chair of trustee of family rights. It took me 17 years of fighting, and I have many more to go, but it's been worth it to see a smile on my eldest boy's face once more, knowing I will never have to say goodbye again. The Family Rights Group runs a free independent legal advice service for parents, and wider family and friends involved with the child's welfare system. This includes online support at wwfrg.org.uk and a free advice line 0808-801-0366, Monday to Friday, 9.30 to 3pm. I mean, this story is absolutely incredible. It's heartbreaking. And, and, and she's right, you know, um, as a parent of domestic abuse, it, it is, you are threatened that you'd lose your children if you accept the person back. Um, you know, your children, you have got the, the, the social services involved in your life, but actually what they actually see is the welfare of the child. But they, do they help you um, identify and help you guide you through what you're going through to come out the other side, or they just grab the children and then they put you through so much more with courts and assessments. Um, 
and meantime, you, you're crumbling in depression with mind overload of, look, I want my children. You're trying to adjust to having your children taken away from you, but in the same breath, you're 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 having to, you're being watched constantly by the social services who put a foot out of place. They hold it against you, you know. In this case, with the the lady having her children removed, you know, it is, it is heartbreaking that as someone who has suffered from domestic abuse myself, the process is just overwhelming, it's, how can I say it, even though there's children involved, I have to sit there and say it's kind of like that homeless journey as well, the judgment, are you fit for a home, you know, the criteria that you have to meet then put on probation before you're actually allowed to have that secure tenancy. You know, the the instability of having to go from one place to another, that's like knocking on people's doors for help. You know, you're never settled when you're going for a storm. As a victim, you're answering to more than one person and you are being judged by more than one person and they build up a story of you without actually speaking to you. So you become paperwork and a number, or case reference number, rather than a human being, where you're understood. How did you get yourself into the domestic abuse? How did that happen? How was you... You see, because in domestic abuse, you're actually trained. They kind of groom you into that submissive state. If you don't do as you're told, there's consequences. So... You know, when you do finally break free and say, you know what, I don't like these consequences, you then end up getting consequences from the social, the people they're asking for help from. Because there's the judgment again. So, for me, it's absolutely awful that the child is put in the middle of all of this, but aren't we all someone's child, regardless of the age? Regardless of the age? So... You're saying that we have an advantage because we're older, but what about those that had a disadvantage and didn't have a good, healthy upbringing in life and they never had stability? What about those that were in the care home, you know, and never had stability? Who wasn't shown the right way to how to be a parent, etc., and then get themselves into unhealthy relationships and then go on to domestic abuse? Is it their fault that they won't trained or say politically correct in how to be a, a gentle man or a gentle woman to treat people correct because domestic abuse is about a belief and the belief of how one should be treating another is based on the belief and what they encountered so for me I think based on people's beliefs people do suffer people get hurt and then you've got the system saying we want to make an example from you an example from you but the system is the one that created it in the first place because they didn't give the necessary help before it got out of hand the social network is there a lot of education around how men and women should be treated do we have courses in etiquette do we have do we have workshops in how to treat a woman or how to treat a man how to handle your emotions, how to handle anger management. Is or Do you have all of this when you're at school or going through life? No, you don't. It only comes after the traumatic experience. Hey, we can help you now. 
They leave it to you as an individual to identify whether or not you've got problems and to reach out. But if people are misinformed or they don't have the information, what are they reaching out to? If they don't even identify the fact that they actually, that, that some of what they're experiencing is abuse. I watched a documentary once that once said, but it's not abuse. If you're shouted at, it's not, but he didn't hit me. And it is abuse if you're being shouted at. But they don't, some people don't identify that as abuse. They, they see that as, well, if I don't get, do as, if I'm shouted at, he, he or she is serious and I'm going to be getting consequences if I don't do as I'm told. It becomes a bit of the normal life. We call this grooming. Um, people groom people. They may not use that terminology, but they mould them. Let me use that word. They mould them into what suits them. And they take, when it comes to domestic abuse, they take and they strip away the personality. Individually, people are putting safety nets up or boundaries up, you know, or laying down regulations to keep their personal space the way they see fit. And sometimes we get into, I mean, the thing is, which is worse, domestic abuse, which is physical domestic abuse which is also verbal abuse so you see verbal abuse is not really recognized much as the um when you say verbal abuse it seems to sort of almost not want to be put in the category of domestic abuse but it is verbal abuse is actually worse because it's, it becomes mental torture it, it becomes you, you see, a bruise will, will fade away if somebody's hitting you. But the mental abuse, the verbal abuse, it's mentally scarring. It's all scarring, but it lowers the self-esteem because it becomes very critical. If somebody's telling you you're not good enough, somebody's saying there's consequences if you don't do as you're told, and somebody will also threaten you with your children, somebody will tell you that you're a bad parent. They will use anything against you to make you feel small to make you feel belittled, just so they can gain that control over you. And and I hear many, many women say to me, they felt like nothing. They felt like they were a slave in, in, in in the home, obeying rules and regulations, and if they didn't, there would be consequences many women trying to protect their own children and many children having to take the role of the higher, I say the higher, the the person, the aggressor, having to, and then turning against their own parent, their own mother, you know, or father. Many children are being used as a weapon and and sometimes very much misguided. You're in the case of some children are removed and put into care. And with this story, have loving adoptive parents, you know, it gives the children half a chance. And especially when these people have their children taken away, you know, they are limited with the contact. They, they'd be told that they can't contact them directly. They can't even do indirect Facebook statuses or anything like that because they're being watched. So what freedom do they, these people that have no have their children taken away have you know they're, they're constantly monitored so that's going to make them paranoid that's going to 
make them feel a way about life. But like this woman rightly said, I think anybody that has struggled with, with difficulties in, in the time, plunging yourself into something positive where you can make a difference, where your children can be proud of you or your parents can be proud of you, does make a difference, not only to your life, but others. And when you get the possibility of coming together to talk and explain with your loved ones who may be in a different direction, direction from you if you've had your children taken away then um, that opportunity is a blessing so we just hope that many mothers and parents out there that may have their children taken away and into care do have the opportunity to rekindle and get that closure that they need or rebuild whatever they need in the future because there's nothing like not understanding why your parents give you up why you wasn't at home, or why you ended up in that care home amongst with other children, um, feeling unwanted and, un, and and neglected, and that's the thing, isn't it? Unloved, unwanted, and neglected. And the adults hold the true story, but they don't tell that to the children to protect them. Not at first. So this woman had to wait 17 years for her children to understand why she gave them up for adoption, why she could no longer have her children. Um, she didn't give them up for adoption, let me get that right, why this woman's children were removed and put up for adoption. I'm glad that the children were able to understand and recognise that, yes, many people of domestic abuse don't get the opportunity to explain straight away. Um, It's just overwhelming overwhelming dealing with a mountain of court paperwork judgment as I said you know it's not just the word social services you're held into court over and over again you're then told to go on this course that course and then sometimes even though many of the parents out there have gone on the courses to improve their life they still are not successful in keeping their children and I think it is lack of education to the person or the people that are handling the case. It is lack of education with the knowledge or the experience in domestic violence field that these children are being taken unnecessarily rather than being having the full support available to keep the families together um, and remove the perpetrator. But even if you, you've got parents fighting amongst each other and the the children in the middle and they get removed. Everybody needs help. Everybody needs help. Otherwise the cycle begins again. So um, this is a very interesting story. It's quite triggering actually. Makes me reflect on my own life a little bit. Think, yeah, I was a child in care myself. So I understand from a child's point of view the process that we had to go through being taken away from our parents and I can understand here from a mother's point of view what it might have been like for them and when I look at my story my own story I understand that there was domestic abuse in my parents life and that's why I wasn't at home and I was placed into care home Wow.
But in the end, like this lady, I was able to be reunited with my parents right until the very end before they died. So domestic abuse, there's so much more to it. Like I said, I understand the verbal abuse, I understand the manipulating behavior. You've got to understand the patterns and even what your friends and family may be going through uh, before it's too late to even get the education. So I recommend the Freedom Programme because as a domestic abuse survivor, uh, the Freedom Programme taught me to recognize any future potential abusers um, because the pattern is there. It's what we allow to slip in by becoming submissive to their demands. So that's the thing, is understanding the abuse, how it slips in so it doesn't happen again. So you can be in control, so you can look after those children. So the children don't learn this and pass it on as well. So the Freedom Programme, um, it saved my life. I went on to do the Freedom Programme um, when I was in the middle of domestic abuse. Uh, I was able to get out of the domestic abuse as safe as possible. I wouldn't say it was safe for me, but, you know, identify that he was an abuser and I was able to get out of that eventually. Um, Not without police intervention, but I got out eventually, you know, and that's the thing. If we don't get help through this, where we can discover our self-esteem again, the pattern generally happens again. So that's because we are submissive and accept unwanted behaviour um, because we'd been accustomed to that sometimes, you know, the consequences of what will happen, something different. And we, It's the risk, you know, um, not liking the risk. I think we all deserve to be living free from harm and free from abuse and free from neglect. Um, we deserve a right to be free from harm and I think Anybody that's experienced an unwanted behaviour should go on the Freedom Programme because it's for women and it is for women and children um, to identify. As I said, I've learned learned a lot of knowledge through the Freedom Programme. And, you know, I don't want to say that all men are the same because all men are not the same, just like all women are not the same because domestic abuse happens to men also, okay? So it's about identifying and, and looking at things that we can do of what kind of, character, what kind of characteristic is um, right for you, you know? So the Freedom Programme by Pat Craven, I highly recommend for anybody that's experienced un, um, unwanted behaviour, um, just to go and get the knowledge. I was a victim, as I said, uh, of domestic abuse myself. I got out of that. I now help people with their mental health. Um, and I now help people to identify this behavior and this pattern. And so we can build up our self-esteem. So I became a uh, freedom program facilitator against domestic abuse. Um, so I, I like to help women understand so they don't lose their children. I like to help men understand what they do to women as well if they're going to talk disrespect to a woman. So I, I do like to let people know that sometimes their behaviour can be wrong, you know, and how they can correct it. 
And that's through education. Simple as that, education. For me, the Freedom Programme does save lives because it does just implement the awareness. You find like-minded people that have been through very much similar, so you know you're not alone, you're not the only one. And you can also go on to teach other people so they can become and help. You teach one, each one teach one, so they can go and help other people as well. So the domestic violence helplines are out there, but the programme to just help you look into things a different way is there also, which is the Freedom Programme, which is used in the courts now and is recognised and they like to send anybody that's experiencing domestic abuse and has children onto this programme in order before you can even have your children back. So I'm very grateful that I became a facilitator. Um, so I like this lady can one day um, say that we managed to help people out there identify what abuse is so we can put an end to it. So it's about breaking the cycle, all about breaking the cycle. So if you're somebody that's experiencing domestic abuse or unwanted behaviour or need to know that this is an uncomfortable feeling, please get some help, speak to someone, be very careful, make a safety plan for now. Don't think it will never happen to you. Um, hopefully it won't, but you know people change if circumstances change. Sometimes they can't, don't know what to do with their uh, anger. Just make sure it's not taken out on you, okay? Be safe. And um, teach the children well to be kind. Be kind at all times. Take care.